Well, we aren't going to be in Exodus chapter 20 together this morning. We're going to be looking together at one single verse, Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12. So I hope that you found your way there. If you, uh, if you look at how the church has discipled new believers throughout church history, one of the common practices has been uh, to use three primary resources to train and instruct new disciples. Uh, the church historically has used the Apostles' Creed, uh, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments. And those three things have served as, as tools to teach the faith uh, to new believers. And the, the church throughout history has associated those three things, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, and the Ten Commandments with the three uh, main Christian virtues, faith, hope, and love. And so the Apostles' Creed was used to teach the faith. Uh, this was a, a distillation, if you will, a summary of the faith once for all handed down to the saints. And it was how the church taught people how to declare their faith uh, in our triune God. So the Apostles' Creed taught faith. The Lord's Prayer taught hope. Because in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, our Father who's in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a prayer that shapes our hope. We're asking God to bring his kingdom to earth uh, and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so the, the church historically has said the way that we're going to form people into people of hope is going to be to teach them uh, what the Lord's prayer means for, for their lives. So the church, if, they will, if you think about the, the Apostles' Creed was used to teach faith, the Lord's prayer was used to teach hope, what the church historically has used to teach love it's the Ten Commandments. Now, that may be surprising to you because a lot of us, when we think about the Ten Commandments, we associate a lot of words maybe with the Ten Commandments, maybe words like duty or perhaps even drudgery. Uh, we think about rules and rule keeping. How many of us, though, would, would associate the Ten Commandments with the word love? And yet, that's how the church historically has viewed the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments is used as a resource in our lives as believers to teach us properly how to love God and how to love other people. In fact, when Jesus was asked about the most important command of all in uh, the Gospel of Matthew, he, he, he replied by giving a summary of the law with these two statements, that the most important command of all is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you think about it, if you boil the Ten Commandments down to just two statements, it would be love God, love neighbor. The first four commandments have to do with how we express our love for God. The last six commandments have to do with how we express our love for neighbor, which, by the way, is also how we express our love for God. One of the ways that we love God is by loving our neighbor. And so it should be no surprise then that if we, as we come to commandment number five today about honoring your father and your mother, that the first commandment related to our love for other people has to do with our relationship with our parents. Commandments five through 10 have to do with loving neighbor, but the very first of those commandments has to do with how we love our parents. Listen to me, the first set of human relationships where you learn to love your neighbor is at home with your parents. The way that you are trained to honor neighbors is by learning first to honor your closest neighbors, the neighbors you have at home, mom, 
and dad. And those are sometimes the hardest neighbors to love. Amen? Can we say amen to that? I don't know if we should say amen to that. It can be hardest to love and honor at home. But if you can learn to love and honor at home, you can learn to love and honor everywhere else. Uh, J.I. Packer put it very simply. He said that no one can claim to love their neighbor while shrugging off their parents. And that's true. You can't really say that you love other people if you don't love those who are closest to you, your, your parents. And if you think about the commandment to honor your father and mother is related to all of the other commandments uh, throughout the rest of the 10 that, that deal with how we honor and love neighbor. For instance, the very next commandment, commandment number six is going to be do not murder. Well, you know how you learn to do not murder? You learn it at home by not murdering each other. <laughs> Here's the deal. When you learn to honor your mom and dad at home, you're learning to honor life even when it's hard, which will form you into the kind of person that doesn't unjustly take other human lives. Think about the commandment not to commit adultery. The commandment to not commit adultery really has to do with honoring people. Well, you learn that at home. That the commandment not to bear false witness against your neighbor in court has to do with honoring persons. That begins at home. The commandment not to steal has to do with honoring and respecting your neighbor. That begins at home. And so here's the big idea that I want you to give, get today, that in the home, God gives us a place where we learn how to love others, where we learn how to honor those that God puts as authority in our, authorities in our lives, where we learn how to love and honor God himself. So here's the big idea. God intends for the family to be the laboratory where we learn to love and honor God and other people. It starts at home. The home is a gift from God for the purpose of our formation in Christ. The home is a fertile ground for discipleship. The, the very first institution that God ever created was not government. It was not even the church. It was the family. It was the home. And God intends for the home to be the place where we are formed into Christ-like disciples who love God and love other people. And God puts parents into the home as the primary disciple makers of the next generation. Listen, if you're a mom or a dad here today, I want you to, to realize that God intends for you to be the key instrument in your child's discipleship. Not the pastor, but the parent. Not the youth minister. It's, it's you as mom and dad. That is God's design from the beginning, that the home and the family would be the laboratory for how our children learn to love God and love their neighbor. Herman Bavink, uh, the great theologian, put it this way. He said, a person's becoming human occurs within the home. Here, the foundation is laid for the forming of the future man and woman, of the future father and mother, of the future member of society, of the future citizen, of the future subject of the kingdom of God. Now, if you think about that, that's really true. Think about how much time your kids spend at church as opposed to spending at school or especially at home. We get your kids maybe an hour or two or three hours at the most every week. You get your kids for dozens of hours throughout the week, which means you are the most important and the primary disciple maker of your own children. So parenthood is a high and holy calling. God's people said, amen. amen. And if we fail at home, 
we, we will fail everywhere else. If our kids don't learn to love their neighbor at home, they won't learn to love their neighbor at school or at work or in society in general. So the home is foundational really for everything else. And so we're going to look at God's word together this morning and see what God has to say about this. So let's look at Exodus chapter 20, and I want you to hear the instruction in verse 12. God says this, honor your father and your mother. Okay, let's say that again, and let's say it together. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you. I want to speak with you for a few moments about the problem facing our families, the principle that God gives for families, and the promise that God makes to families. So let's just consider, first of all, the problem facing families today. I want you to think about and understand the need for this commandment in the first place. Why do we have, out of 10 commandments, God says, here's the 10 most important things. I want to shape and form your life. Uh, This is how I'm showing you how to flourish in your life. Why do we have this commandment about honoring your father and mother? Well, quite simply, we, we have the commandment from God to honor father and mother because we don't honor father and mother naturally. It's natural to dishonor father and mother. It's natural to to not love them as we should. And so God has to teach us how to relate to our parents uh, the right kind of way. And, And families, if you think about it, families have had problems with this all the way back to the book of Genesis. If you think about uh, Genesis chapter 3, for instance, it doesn't take but three chapters of the Bible before you start to get some pretty serious family dysfunction. Genesis chapter 3, you see a dysfunctional marriage between Adam and Eve. I say, hey, pastor, how do you you know they had a dysfunctional marriage? Well, here's how. You remember in the story of Adam and Eve, uh, the serpent is tempting Eve to take the fruit, and it says she takes the fruit, and uh, we sometimes give Eve a real hard time about that, you know? And we think that she is sort of the, you know, the one responsible for it. But it's interesting that in the rest of the Bible, that the, tem- the, the, the fall of mankind is not attributed to Eve, it's attributed to Adam. Have you ever thought about why that is? Well, the text tells us in Genesis 3 that after the woman takes the fruit, she gives some to her husband, and the text says her husband who was with her. So it's not like, you know, Adam is somewhere else in the garden, and Eve is out there being tempted and and giving into temptation. No, the picture is husband and wife together in the garden, woman being tempted by the serpent. Where is Adam? He's right there watching this happen. In other words, what's happening in the garden is Adam is abdicating his role. He is watching passively as his wife is tempted by the serpent and takes the fruit, and then he participates in that. So you have an abdication of the responsibility of the husband. Then it gets worse. When God comes and confronts them with their sin, what does Adam do? Instead of taking responsibility, which is what men are supposed to do, what does he do? Points a finger. He blames. This woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit. Now, so see, who's, who's he really blaming here? He's blaming God. You gave me this woman. And he's blaming his wife. This woman gave it to me. Not taking the responsibility on himself. So he's abdicating responsibility and he's blame shifting. Things get worse in the next chapter, Genesis chapter 4. You have family dysfunction continue where you have the first human murder. Cain kills his brother Abel. And by the way, things go downhill from there. If you've never read the book of Genesis, I encourage you to check it out, okay? Uh, You don't need to watch soap operas. Just read the book of, of Genesis. It's like the most dysfunctional families that you can imagine. And that apparently continued into the life of Israel. 
Let me give you an example of that, right? So in Exodus 20, you have this command, honor your father and mother. You can deduce then that there were people who were not honoring father and mother. But if you look at the next chapter, Exodus chapter 21, just look at a couple of verses here. Look at verse 15. It says, whoever strikes his father or mother, to strike means to, to punch or to hit. Whoever hits mom or dad must be put to death. Kids, pay attention to that. Verse 17, whoever curses father or mother must be put to death. So, so apparently you have a situation in Israel where the family dysfunction of Genesis continues into Exodus where you have children who are dishonoring mom and dad. They're hitting mom and dad. They're cussing mom and dad out. That just sounds like your normal trip to the mall these days. And so God has to give the command, honor father and mother. Don't hit them. Don't curse them. And he gives strict consequences for those who do harm or dishonor their parents, that the children were to be put to death. That's the same consequence as if they had committed murder. So families have been facing problems for a long time, haven't they? And that's the situation we currently find ourselves in as, as well. There are problems with the home in our society. And it begins it begins with children. Uh, our, our society doesn't value children, even in the womb. We have a, 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 an industrial complex called the abortion industry because we don't value human life in its most fragile form. Uh, we don't value parents. I would say we don't value the elderly in general. Um, marriage and family typically is not valued in our culture. Parental rights are being dismissed and devalued. In fact, in some states, children can get an abortion without even notifying their parents. I read an article back in March from the New York Post that said that nearly 6,000 schools nationwide have rules in place that prevent parents from being notified if their child is identifying as a different gender in the classroom. So families have some, some issues today, right? More generally, we've seen examples where children ignore their parents, disobey their parents, dishonor their parents, disrespect their parents. Do you know that the Apostle Paul says that this is one of the evidences of mankind's great rebellion? In Romans chapter 1 and verse 30, when Paul is listing out the, the total rebellion of mankind, he lists in Romans 1.30 disobedience to parents as one example of man's rebellion. He does the second thing, same thing in 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see this on the screen, 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 2. He says this, know this, hard, day, hard, days, hard times will come in the last days. And as examples of that, he says, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, proud, demeaning. Look at this, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy. Paul is saying, if you really want to see what rebellion looks like in society, look at how children treat their parents. And that's where we're at as a society right now. Our, the, the current state of the family is in chaos and total, uh, total dysfunction. Hubert Humphrey, one of, the, uh, for, former, former one of our former presidents, once said this, that the moral test of a nation is how it treats those in the dawn of life, children, those who are in the twilight of life, the elderly, and those who are in the shadows of life, uh, the sick, the needy, and the handicapped. And if you look at that, America is failing that moral test in every way. 
Now, I'm not discouraged by that. In fact, quite the opposite, because in the midst of that current cultural chaos, I believe that the church has a unique opportunity to be countercultural. We, as the people of God, have a unique opportunity to live as a distinct people in a distinct way and offer a refreshing alternative to a culture that is in crisis, that is chaotic, and frankly, that is weary. If you, if you drive down a, a, one of these beautiful East Texas highways, one of our favorite things this spring was to see walls of pine trees, dark green pine trees, but every now and then you would see a beautiful dogwood tree. And with those white flowers or pink flowers, it provides such a beautiful contrast. Well, you know, God calls us to live as a unique people, a contrasting people, a distinct people against the cultural backdrop, to live as the people of God and offer a, a refreshing alternative to the way that this world is doing life. And one of the ways that we can do that is at home. By living as God has called us to live in the family, we can provide a countercultural example to a weary society. Think about how countercultural family dinner is these days. For a mom and a dad to sit with their kids around a family table, to pray together, to eat together, to have conversation, not with phones, but actually with face-to-face -face with each other. Think about how different that is these days. Think about how countercultural it is for a family to do family devotionals. I, I hope you understand how how countercultural it is for Moberly Baptist Church to have 198 families to have signed up this spring to say we will do a family devotional once a week. That is counterculture. It's a way to provide a contrast with what's happening in society. And so how do we do that? Well, I want us to look at the principle that God gives for families right here in verse 12. You, we read it together a moment, a moment ago. Let me read it again. God says to Israel, this is the way you're going to be distinct. This is how you're going to look different than the nations. You, as my people, are to honor your father and your mother. Now, every word in that phrase is important. Let's just start by noticing here the presence of both a father and a mother. I think there's something to be said here about the family unit, a mom, a dad, and kids. And this isn't something you'd think needed to be stated, but in our world, it does need to be stated that a child thrives best when there is a father and a mother in their life. Not two fathers, not two mothers but a father and a mother in the life of a child. That is God's design for the home. And the more that our culture pushes back and says we're going to experiment and we're going to try everything else, the more they will realize that does not lead to flourishing. Your families will not thrive this way. God has created for a mom and a dad to be in the life of a child. And so I want to say, dad, you matter. It's a good spot for an amen. Dad, you matter. Your influence in your home and in your family matters. And I know that in our society, the dads are the brunt of the joke. The dads are the fuddy-duddies. If you look at the sitcoms, dads are the ones who don't know what's going on. They're out of the loop. Their absenteeism is evident. But the Bible say, says that dads matter. Mom, you matter. It's another good spot for an amen. Mom, you matter. Your presence and what you bring to a home cannot be replaced by anyone else. 
And this is by God's design. God designed for a mom and a dad to be together in the home for their children. That's God's design for homes to flourish best. Jen, Jen Wilkin put it this way. She said, a healthy family is one in which both father and mother are valued for their wisdom and contributions. The family of God, like any healthy family, should strive to show such value to both fathers and mothers in the church. If one parenting presence is minimized or neglected, the family risks all manner of dysfunction. Now listen, I want to say here that because of the, the fact that we live in a broken world, we have broken marriages and we have broken families and broken homes and we should thank God for godly single parents who are working double time to do the job of both mom and dad in the home. Amen? So if you're a single dad, a single mom, I want to encourage you to keep going. And, and the reality is we, we all experience brokenness in different ways. And the good news of the gospel is that there is great grace no matter what your family situation happens to look like. And all God's people said, amen. amen. And so just know that if you have experienced brokenness in your marriage and maybe you are, are, are trying to, to do the best you can as a single mom or dad, God has great grace for that. But the reality that we have broken marriages and that that sometimes, uh, you know, you, you don't have mom and dad both in the home, that doesn't minimize the importance of God's design. And I think every Christian should be able to affirm and say that it is important to uphold the integrity and the dignity of, of mom and dad in the home. And so honor your father and your mother. That's an important thing to say. But notice what the command is. The command is honor, honor. And I want us just to think about that word for a moment because, listen to me, honor is the governing principle for every human relationship. As a Christian, the way that we are to relate to our neighbor, okay, whoever the neighbor is, our posture towards our neighbors is a posture of honoring them. Now, why, why do we honor our neighbor? Well, it, um, the word honor, I want you to think about it. The word honor in Hebrew is the word for glory in the Hebrew Old Testament. In fact, you can translate this glorify, father and mother. Uh, this word is used to describe God's glory. It's described as something that is weighty or something that is heavy. God's glory itself is sometimes described as a heavy thing, a weighty thing. And what God is saying here is that in the home, you ought to treat your parents with the weightiness, the seriousness, uh, the, the heaviness, uh, uh, the importance that they deserve. That's what it means to honor father and mother. It is to treat them with a, a weightiness and a seriousness to realize the respect that God has created them to have. We talk about this sometimes. Alistair Begg points this out. Sometimes we talk about the, the heaviness or the lightness. He says, you know, we, we'll say, I don't, I don't get an ounce of respect around here. An ounce, you know. I'm not getting much respect. This, this idea is that we're not treating each other with an ounce of respect, but we're treating each other with tons of of respect, a, a heaviness, a weightiness to how we treat one another, to honor one another. And the reason that we honor one another, the, the, the reason and the way that we show the weightiness and the heaviness and the seriousness is because we, we see each other as God sees us. And here's how God sees us. Right? Think about with your parents. You say, man, I have a hard time honoring mom or dad. I want to encourage you to see them through the lens of how God speaks about them. Genesis chapter 1 says that every human life, every human, 
from the womb to the tomb, from, from conception to natural death, every human bears the image of God. Genesis 1.26 says that we were made in God's image. So that means that every human being that you see bears the image of God. That means that they have inherent worth and dignity. That every person that you see, and think again about mom and dad here, but, but really every human relationship, is an image bearer of God. That means that every person you see is special. Amen? Every single person. And we ought to value their life. It doesn't matter if they are very young, even if they are not even born yet, or if they're very old and they're getting close to death, or anywhere in between. Every human life has worth and dignity and value. And to treat someone with the seriousness or the heaviness that they deserve is to recognize every person I see is a bearer of the image of God and therefore very special. Can you imagine how different we would treat each other if we walked around and every single person that we saw, we re-recognized them as a bearer of the image of God, as very special. Not only do we bear the image of God, do you realize that every human bears the glory of God? And particularly believers, I want you to think about uh, what Paul says in the book of Romans. Uh, you're probably familiar with Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Uh, which says that all have uh, sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? So before Christ, we fall short of God's glory. But Romans chapter 5 says that once we are made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ, the, the language that Paul uses in Romans 5, he says, now we hope in the glory of God. The reality is, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that there are several things that become true of you. Number one, you are justified. That means you are made right with God through the work of Jesus Christ in His death on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. You can have a friendship with God. That's justification. And you are also being sanctified. That means that God begins to shape you to look more and more like Christ, to make you more and more holy as God's Holy Spirit uh, lives in you. But the Bible says that if you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, one day, ultimately, you will be glorified. To be glorified means that there is no longer sin in your life, that you are just like Christ in God's presence, that you live with Him forever in a resurrected, glorified body. Now, what does it mean to live in a resurrected, glorified body? Well, frankly, that's above my pay grade. I, I'm not sure of all of what that means. You know, does that mean that we're, uh, Chris, we're not going to have eye doctors in heaven? You know, no more bad eyesight. Uh, maybe that's what it means to be glorified, right? Our, our, our eyes are not, uh, are not decaying. We have perfect eyesight. Maybe, you know, no more baldness. You know, maybe everybody has a full head of hair. Uh, somebody ought to be saying amen to that, Johnny. Um, I don't know. Maybe, does it mean, you know, certainly means no more sickness and no more cancer, no more funerals. I'm not sure all of what it means. I just know it's going to be pretty good to live in a resurrected, glorified body. And the truth is, one day, every single person who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior will be glorious, will be endowed by the creator of the universe with glory. And Paul says, we hope 
in that. We, we have hope in the glory of God. We know that every person who's following Christ will be endowed with glory. And so what it means to, to treat someone with a weightiness and a heaviness and a seriousness is to recognize that they bear the image of God and one day will bear the glory of God. And we see them now as God, God sees them. That we understand that what they will be, we understand we treat them uh, that way now, that we treat them as someone who, you know, in C.S. Lewis's words, that, that you've never met a mere mortal. That everyone that you meet is special and deserves to be treated with honor. And it begins at home with mom and dad. That's what it means to honor father and mother. It means to recognize their worth, their value, their dignity, and to express that with a weightiness, a heaviness, a seriousness, uh, just like we do with every other human uh, relationship. So how do we do that practically? Well, let me just share what one uh, pastor, the wisdom one pastor uh, shared about three or 400 years ago. John Calvin said that this, this command to honor father and mother entails something that is commanded and something that is forbidden. He says what's commanded here is that to honor father and mother expresses itself in reverence, gratitude, and obedience. So what does it look like to honor mom and dad? Well, reverence, that means a respect. The opposite of reverence is contempt. And so that would be what's forbidden. Contempt means disdain or uh, disgust. You know, I, I, I'm disgusted with mom and dad. We see that in our culture, right? Oh, they don't know any, mom and dad, gross. They don't, what do they know, you know? I'm embarrassed by them. Uh, I, I have disgust for them. I don't care about them. That's contempt. Calvin says to honor means to have reverence, not, uh, not disdain, not dislike, not disgust, but a sense of respect. Gratitude, that means being thankful. The opposite of gratitude is what? Ingratitude. Ingratitude in the life of a child can take the form of entitlement. Uh, instead of being thankful for my mom and dad and their presence in my life and the way that they lead me, I'm just not thankful at all, right? I, you've been there when you've been to Disney <laughs> and you've spent all this money and you, you know, you're, you spent all the money and then you've been standing in line, you know, in like the surface of the sun, it's hot and you're waiting in line for a 30-second ride, and then, you know, you go to get some food, and your kids complain about what you order. You know, the cheeseburger didn't have cheese on it or whatever. Ingratitude. It's, an ent it's entitlement. Calvin says, if we really want to honor father and mother, we'll show thankfulness. And then obedience. O obedience uh, means that you're doing what you're asked to do. If, if mom or dad say, clean your room, you say, yes, mom. Yes, dad. Thank you. Uh, the opposite of that would be disobedience, right? To disregard what mom and dad have to say. You know that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, one, verse 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. This is right. And the way that you honor is to submit to your parents. Um, understanding that their rules are for your good. Understanding things like curfew is for your good. It may feel restrictive, but it's for you to flourish. And all the moms and dads in the room said amen, amen to that, right? Uh, obedience is, is, is uh, regarding your parents' commands 
as, as something for your good and submitting to them even when you don't fully understand why they are there. And what I want you to know is that this is actually how we learn to obey God. You see, the training ground for learning reverence for God and thankfulness to God and obedience to God is reverence for mom and dad and thankfulness for mom and dad and obedience to mom and dad. It is like training wheels so that you can learn not just how to honor other people, it will teach you how to honor other people, but also how to honor God. You see, when I learn how to obey mom and dad when it's hard, and that has, I've, I've been formed into a person who submits to the authority God has put in my life. Then when God calls me to do something, a matter of obedience that is also difficult, I've been trained for this. I've practiced this. I've obeyed mom and dad when it was difficult. And so when God calls me to do something difficult, I can obey him when it's difficult. You see, the home is a laboratory where we learn how to love and honor God and love and honor other people. By the way, this is true no matter what your age. I know Pastor Tim said, you know, parents are excited about this verse and kids are like, ah. But the reality is this is true for adults. You are called to honor your mom and dad regardless of how old they are. And, and there is an expression of that in old age that matters just as much as in young age. And, and at every age and every stage, honor may look different. Parental authority, for instance, is for a season. But parental honor is for a lifetime. We're called to honor mom and dad in every stage and, and actually, it becomes just as important at those older stages. And when we learn to do this at home with our parents, we'll know how to do it with every other human relationship. We'll learn how to do it with God himself. Someone said that honoring parents is learning to give the reverence due to those to whom we owe our being. You see, you owe your existence to your parents. And so you should honor them. But that's how you learn a kind of greater honor for the God to whom you owe your very being. We recognize we owe our existence to our parents, so we honor our parents. But even to a greater degree, we recognize we owe our very being to God himself. And so we show him honor. If you think about what sin is, at its heart, sin is a rejection of authority. So the opposite of that is learning to live under authority, under the authority of God, but we learn it under the shelter and the roof of our parents. Amen? And this is what happens when you do that. This is what I want to finish with this morning. When you learn to honor the most important human relationships in your life, which are sometimes the most difficult ones, your life tends to go much better than it would have otherwise. And that's the very last thing that you see in verse 12. It's the promise to families. You see it in verse 12, honor your father and mother so that, this is the promise, so that you may have a long life in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, what exactly does that mean? Because some of you may read that and you say, aha, pastor, <laughs> I've got you. This is proof, you know, that the Bible's not true because we know plenty of people who obeyed their mom and dad, honored their mom and dad, and they didn't live, have a long life. You know, their lives were taken too early. And, and that's true. We've all seen that where people, you know, they lose their life much too young. But this is, this is not what God is promising. God is not saying that if you honor, you know, every, that every obedient child is going to live to 100. That's not what God is saying here. Remember that this is, this is a commandment that was given to Israel. 
And what God is saying to Israel is, I'm bringing you into a land, and if you want to live long in the land, if you want to enjoy the land, if you want to flourish in the land, this is the mode of living that you need to adopt. That that the way to flourish in the land that I'm bringing you to is to have a society where parents are honored, and you will live long in the land when you do that. This is like a It's stated in the form of a proverb. You know, proverbs in your Bible, proverbs are general truths. General truths. It is generally true, right? If I I say, uh, if you eat healthy, you'll live longer. That's generally true. There are exceptions to that. You might eat kale and still die young. In fact, I think that that might be connected. I'm not sure, but... uh, (laughs) You know, you can eat healthy, you can avoid the bluebell, all those things, and you can still die young. But we would all say it's generally true that if you eat healthy, you'll live longer, right? The Proverbs function that way. Here's a common one uh, that, that I think is often misunderstood. Tra- train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. You know that proverb. A lot of parents are confused by that because they raise up the child in the way he should go, and when they're old, they do depart from it. They, because, it's because they misunderstand the nature of a proverb. A proverb is a general truth. It is generally true that when you train up a child in the way they should go, when they're old, they'll not depart from it. But there are exceptions to that, just like the kale example. What God is saying here is it's, it is generally true that if you obey mom and dad, you will live longer than you would have otherwise. Uh, I would have died at age five if I hadn't listened to mom and dad when they said, don't run out in the street, there's an 18-wheeler. Don't grab the oven, it's hot. You know, don't nail your hand to the wall. (laughs) Whatever, you know. My parents gave me guidance, and by listening to them, so far I'm still alive. That's what God is saying here. You will live longer than you would have otherwise, and you will live better than you would have others, otherwise. Generally true, this is the way life works best. That's the point. Isn't that gracious of God to say, I'm telling you how life works best. I'm, I'm putting two ways before you, life and death. Obey me and you'll find life. Disobey me and you'll find death. But step into the life of of flourishing that I've invited you. And I love that God gives this to us as a motivation. I mean, he could have said here to kids, obey or else. But instead, what a gracious motivation. Obey and it will go well with you. Obey and there's a life that you get to live that is a life of flourishing. His design is for our well-being. God wants what is best for you. And when we live according to his design, we flourish. So as we close, I want, you, I want you to do something for me. I want you uh, to do a suggestion I, I heard about this week. I want you to think about your belly button. <laughs> Got it? Okay. Your belly button is a constant reminder that you don't exist on your own. You came from someone else. And so every time that you think about your belly button, I want you to remember that because you came from someone else, you owe others honor. You owe mom and dad honor. 
You, you owe others. Some of you don't have a relationship with mom and dad. Some of you have lost your parents. But you have a spiritual mom and dad. You owe honor. Some of you, maybe you don't have a relationship with mom and dad, but there's someone who's in a generation above you. There's an elderly person in your life. You owe honor. Honor is the governing principle for every human relationship in the life of a Christian. And so when you remember your belly button, it'll keep you from pride. It'll make you realize we owe honor to others. And that's hard. It's hard. But remember this. When you find it hard to honor mom and dad, remember that there was another son who honored his father when it was most difficult. And he became obedient even to the point of death on a cross. And here's some really good news. Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we can be forgiven and made new for all of our failure, including our failure to honor father and mother. So if you say, Pastor, you know, I've got a really bad relationship with my parents. Understand there's grace for that. That Jesus died and rose so you could be forgiven and made new. But he also provides an example for us of how to honor. First Peter chapter 2, verse 21 says he has, he has an example so that we would follow in his steps. And so if you struggle with how do I honor mom and dad, look to Jesus. What does it look like for you to represent Christ to your parents? Maybe you have an unbelieving mom and dad. Maybe you just have a rough relationship. What would it look like for you to be like Christ to them? Maybe that looks like today, if you're under the age of 18, you're under the roof of your parents, maybe it looks like saying, yes, mom, or yes, dad, when they tell you to do something. That could be what it looks like to honor. If you're an adult, honoring mom and dad may look like picking up the phone, maybe giving an apology, or maybe just calling to say hi, to stay in touch, to represent Christ to them, to show them the dignity and worth and honor they deserve, to see them as God sees them. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, this is not easy, so we, we ask for your Holy Spirit to help us to show honor to whom honor is due. I pray that if there are children in the, the room today, that they would strive to honor their mom and their dad. I pray that mom and dad would live honorable lives. Help us to glorify and honor you in our homes so that we can have families that flourish. Holy Spirit, empower our obedience. Help us to represent Christ well to each other in those relationships that are closest to us. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.